Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. All right, everybody. So we got to put on our leather jackets, jump on our motorcycles, hit play on the Kenny Loggins, because we're going to the danger zone. <laughs> that's right. We're talking about dangerous dangerous migrations in code today, and that's where we're going. It's just like like an update without a where clause on a live server? Like, is it... <laughs> Not quite. It's it's a little bit more though. This the stakes. I think this so the stakes of this migration that I'm going to talk you through is I think the most high stake bit of programming I think I have ever done in my entire career. So I've been doing this professionally for like 20 years. I don't think I've ever done a, any kind of sort of migration or change in any of my apps that is as high stakes to me as this particular one. And so. It seemed like something that was definitely worth the topic, both I think it's an interesting thing to talk about. And then I am also very eager to essentially talk through my my with my thought process with this and make sure that there's nothing that jumps out to you as someone who also has twenty years of programming experience to you know, that I'm doing something horribly wrong and then also do this before I roll it out so that if our listeners out there are thinking of anything that I'm that I'm doing and they're like, Oh no, don't do that, or make sure you do this, like I'm all ears because it's a little scary. So the the general sort of story begins um, last September when Widget Smith launched, and the you know, much to my surprise, um, it turned out to be very successful and popular, and people loved Widget Smith, which is great. But what did, I had no concept for at that time was that the thing that people would really really want to do is the photos aspect of it. Um, in the first version of Widget Smith, the photos all you could do was uh, point Widget Smith to a album of folder uh, an album of photos and it would randomly cho- show you a different photo from that album throughout the day which is a feature that's still in there and sort of works all right but what people actually wanted was to use it like a photo album where they choose a photo and then show that one photo indefinitely in a slot um, on their home screen that was the feature that people actually wanted and so in I think it was maybe a day after it had kind of had this explosive growth, I remember just sitting down and just like doing my best to build out that feature as quickly as I possibly could. And I didn't really have the time or thought to be able to really think this through. I just sort of built it and got it working. And the approach I had taken at that point was that I wanted you, you know, you, you choose a picture. And then what I did is I took that picture and I sort of downsampled it to be the size of the widget that you were going to be showing. So if it's, you know, so, so like if the, if the widget was going to show a picture that was, could be 600 by 600 pixels, I would resize it so it'd be 600 by, uh, you know, whatever, whatever the most constrained dimension is, this the, would be 600. And then it would be wider than that in the other one or taller than that if it was portrait. Um, and it would show that on the screen. And that worked. And it was, you know, something I just, I think it probably built in less than a day and put that in the app. And it's been wildly successful. Like people love it. It's works, it works, you know, works well for a lot of people. But it turns out, um, you know, almost a year on now that, that, that approach and that solution that I had done in, the, in those first few days of the app being launched left me in a place where I'm kind of stuck now with what I can do with that feature. And there are a lot of things that I wish I could do that I can't based on my original implementation. And specifically something that I want to be able to do is give you kind of a full um, zoom and pan of the image, which in retrospect is obvious, but at, you know, in my frantically frantic building back last September, I didn't think that, think about it. Or, you know, if you pinch on the picture, you should be able to zoom it in and, you know, position it arbitrarily inside 
um, of the widget, which is something that you just can't do now. And so people have to either pre-crop their images or there's all kinds of weird hacks or turn things, but it, it's not great. And it's something that really, if this is like the marquee feature that people use this app for, I can do better. And similarly, it's something that I also thought of that I think a lot of people use this widget for is to show people. And so I wanted to use um, the vision framework in iOS to automatically suggest a crop for you. So if you have a picture that involves people, you can hit a button and it can kind of automatically zoom to a reasonable zoom showing those people um, nicely, which is just a nice little like thing and a kind of a fun way to experiment with, experiment with the vision framework, which I hadn't used before. Um, and also subsequently also I want to be able to allow you to change this over time so that if you want to change your zoom or change your pan, um, you can do that later with this, without having to re-add the picture. Um, cause the problem I have now is, you know, all I have is this very scaled down version of your image. So if I want to do anything to it, it involves a loss of uh, quality. And similarly, we have things like the extra large complication or widget now, um, uh, for the iPad in situations like this, where like my old downscaling version, it would be means that I can't um, offer any kind of like sort of obvious or easy upgrade path between widgets or things like that. So this is where I am. And so what I need to do is then sort of go ahead and build this new version. And so that's what I did is I sat down and I wrote a, a new kind of version of this. And first I wrote it in a completely self-contained testing application where I could kind of just get the gesture and get the you know, adding a picture and all that stuff built out and actually built this for Watchsmith's last update um, and used it in there for the complication of uh, the with the photos complication I did there, um, which incidentally turned out to be really complicated because in SwiftUI, there is no good way to do a pinch gesture. And so I ended up having to do this weird hybrid approach where some of it is a wrapped UI view and some of it's SwiftUI. And, you know, there was, there was a lot of pain and suffering there, but it, it's built now and it's, it's fine. Um, but this is the point where it starts to get complicated. And this is the point that I think, you know, we're, now we're entering the danger zone is the, um, what do I do? I have this old implementation and I have this new implementation. And in some ways, there's a certain compatibility between them where the old one, um, I could treat the old, you know, photos widget as a sort of a, a simple case of the new one where the new one has a big image a zoom factor, an offset factor within that. Um, and I could kind of assume, just take the old ones and say, oh, you know, they're just the size of the image is smaller and that you can't zoom it in very far as a result. And I could adjust the offset factors between them and I could do it that, that way and just sort of treat it like it's an unzoomed thing. Or I could work out a different approach. And this is the place where the terror begins. And the, you know, the um, I think when I had one of those moments where I don't know if you've ever had this where you sit down and you're like, I wonder if like, like there's a number or something you're kind of, you know, you need to look up and you need to kind of look at, but you're kind of scared about what the answer is going to be. Um, <laughs> like I, I, I knew I wanted to know how many photo widgets are out in production. Um because it's just a helpful tool for me to just decide this. But I kind of didn't want to know the answer because I had a, my initial, you know, my vague, my, my vague sense is that it would be a large number. In fact, it would be a very large number. And uh, so, but I like, yeah, so I was a little bit like, it's one of those, I didn't want to look for it. I didn't want to look, but I actually felt like I need to. And so I did a bit of back, back, back of the envelope math. Um, you know, I collect very limited uh, analytics inside Widget Smith, but I, I collect enough that I could kind of estimate what this probably the number probably is. And it ends up that I think there's something on the order. This is a conservative estimate, but I think on the order of about 100 million photo widgets deployed out <laughs> in the world right now. 
which <laughs> oh my god, it's like, which exactly right. So like, it's, it is <laughs> you can you can either laugh or you can cry if or you're both. me thinking yeah. of changing the code that underlines the display of something on that many people's home screens. Like on their phone with them doing nothing, they could just an update could appear in the app store that could like somehow horribly destroy something that's like on their home screen. And it could do it, you know, tens of millions, if not a hundred million times. So like, so wait, let me pause you here for a second. I'm very glad you looked up this number because that was a great moment for us. However, yeah. um, <laughs> it blows my mind a little bit, but why did you need to know the number? I think for me, it's the it's, it's getting the degree of difficulty for this, right? That, uh, and I mean, in some ways, maybe you're right. That it, it, I can see where it sort of it doesn't actually matter, but it, it like in the sense of ultimately, I need to do what is best. And if it was, if you know, I wouldn't want to make go down a path that would be problematic for ten thousand people um, any more than I would for something that would be problematic for ten million people. Um, but yeah, I wanted to have a sense of it. I think honestly, in some ways, to keep me honest and make sure that I don't cut any corners or get um, like you know, sort of get get a little too fast and loose with this. Because in some ways, that's what put me in this problem in the first place by not being thoughtful, by not going through as much thoughtfulness as I could on this, um, and to make sure that I had an appropriate amount of terror um, sitting behind me um, while I'm working on this feature to make sure that I do it right and do it right the first time now, because it is unlikely to be something that um, I would be able to sort of like undo or fix um, in a, in a good way if I do something kind of horribly wrong. So already, I mean, that number scares the crap out of me and I'm, yeah. it's, I don't even have any skin in this game. Um, already, I, I'm already thinking of the approach you should take uh, if it were me. And if it, I can tell you right now, what I would do in this kind of context is I would not touch a single line of code about the old widgets. And I would just make a new photo widget type. And I would, I would, I would hide the old one from being available when creating new widgets. So let the old widget type persist. And for new people who create new photo widgets, that follows a different code path, which is not the most, like in the most ideal case, People with the old widget should just it should just work and and it should just get better over time, but the risks are so high here, as you said. I think in that kind of context, I would just make a whole new one that's a totally separate class, totally separate code paths. And if people write in asking, "Hey, I'd love to be able to zoom my photos or whatever," you can say, "All right, here, just recreate the photo widget, and it'll it'll have that ability now." And I think I think that's it's not like the most elegant solution in the world, but I think it's the most pragmatic because. It, it protects you, like, nerve-wise and liability-wise from, from accidentally disrupting all those widgets out there. And I think people would be fine with that. I think most people are not going to care about the lack of grace on that. Uh, and, and they're, you know, this is, this is something like, they would care quite a bit if you broke their photo widget. But if they want some new features and have to recreate it, I don't think they're going to care that much about that. I'm very glad you said that, because that is exactly what I did. Oh, Awesome. <laughs> That is a that is a strong encouragement to me that I did the right thing in this, and especially for for you to say that because I feel like you have a bit more, um, I, I, like I, I think you have you have a you have less of a uh, comfort you often with sort of like the hacks or doing things halfway or feeling like that. Like you, you tend to be a very um, complete developer, whereas I think I'm, my tendency is to be a bit more. Um, uh, fast and loose, and so it's encouraging to me that you took the same approach because basically, yes, I had the same. My, my thought was, at my first, I, I built out a little bit of the version where I would take the old photo data and kind of move it into the new system, 
And then and, and it sort of it worked. But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, something is going to go wrong here. And so I just took the instead took the approach of there's, you know, if if the widget has the old data, it uses the old system. And but as soon as you if you add a new widget or you add a photo to a one that had a photo before, you know, so if you have, if you, you essentially have to go through the image picker again, um, which I have to do anyway, because I need, to, I don't have the full resolution anymore. Um, so if you go through that, then you switch over to the new system, but it's like, they are totally separate inside the code and they do nothing with each other. And if you, you know, if you did the, if you did this upgrade and never uh, added another photo widget ever again, or even never launch the app again, like the old cold code paths are the only thing that will ever be run because all of the new stuff is all kind of hidden behind. If you're using the new stuff, use this. If you're using the old stuff, use that. Um, and as like I said, it's, it's a bit inelegant. And I think there's the issues of user communication that obviously now, like when I'm messaging for what features are available or like in the help screens and things. And I think that's fine. And then it's also a little bit of a sad thought that's like that code for the old original photos is going to be with me forever. Like I, there's no way for me to ever realistically expect to retire that code. And so I'm going to just need to support it indefinitely, um, which is fine, uh, I think, probably. And I think obviously you know, it's mostly a question of when I in the future, my big concern was making sure that I preserve a way to sort of create those widgets, at least in a debug mode, so that I can, you know, make sure I can, when I'm doing my testing and compatibility stuff and making sure that, you know, SwiftUI 3 doesn't break them. Um, like, it, I could, don't want to end up in a circumstance where there's user data that exists in the in the world that I can't easily recreate myself. But I'm I'm delighted to hear that you took the, your, your mind went to the same place of like, nope, we're just going to keep these things, systems totally separate and take that approach and, you know, as, as best as we can minimize the, um, the risk there. Because the risk primarily is obviously that I somehow in the switch between the old and the new, I get something wrong, but that feels like a much lower surface area switch because it is very clear when you're in one case or when you're in the other rather than if I tried to kind of have a hybrid approach or do a data migration or do something that is much more uh, sort of high risk in that way. And I think also I love the thought that I, I'm doing nothing, I'm in no way changing the data of the old method. You know, I'm not, it uses a different file, like file structure when I'm saving things and it's stored in a different place in the user's configuration. So all of those, the old data should persist. And so if somehow it all goes horribly wrong and need to roll it back, I can roll back to the old widget system and it should be, you know, completely un unchanged as a result. Yeah, that's good. Because, like, the last thing you want in a migration like that is for, for, like, if you were trying to migrate old stuff to new stuff, like, so much weird stuff can happen, like, if the device is low on disk space or, and, you know, like, one of your file writes fails in the middle, like, then you, you, there's, like, all these weird conditions that you'd have to accommodate for in order to do that safely at a large scale. Um, I would even say, like, I do you remember um, back when Apple was uh, announcing APFS? There was yep. some some remark. I think maybe Federighi might have said on the talk show. He did. I, I, this is, I have this in my notes for, to talk about later. Oh for, yeah, about how tested, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, about how like for the previous few releases of the OS, one thing they would do as part of the upgrade process was basically test a migration to the new file system they were developing and then roll it back. Yep. And like, I guess report back like whether it worked or not. Um, and so like, I feel like if you were going to do that kind of migration at this kind of scale for something so important, you would have to do something like that where like you would 
test a migration to a new system without actually removing the old data and yeah. and you know being super careful about it to first make sure that all the you know all the data migration stuff succeeded and everything and and you know wrap the whole thing in a giant try catch block <laughs> and, and you know, just do everything possible to like okay try to do this but if if it fails fail silently and just tell me somehow um, you know, and, and it, to, to, to be able to avoid that, uh, is, is very good. <laughs> anyway, we are brought to you talk about, you know, figuring out when you have problems. We're brought to you yeah. by Pingdom from SolarWinds. While you've been listening to this podcast, how would you know if your website had gone down? Uh, what it, would you know if customers couldn't click your buy button or fill out a trial form? You might stumble across the problem by luck, just by like hitting refresh on your site occasionally, but that means you've already lost out on who knows how many new customers. You need something to tell you everything is running smoothly on your site, and more importantly, you need to know when it's not. So you need Pingdom. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages every month, more than 400,000 every day. And for as low as $10 a month, Pingdom helps keep your sites online. Whether you're a one-person company or a Fortune 500, you need real-time alerts about critical website issues and customization of how you're alerted, whether it's SMS, email, your team's collaboration apps, push notifications, whatever it is. Pingdom lets you customize all of that. They even track and analyze your website's load time so you can see what's affecting the user experience. If you have a website or web service, you need Pingdom. Take charge of monitoring your site in minutes. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. When you sign up, use the code RADAR at checkout to get 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. So I think like for the rest of the episode, I think what might be interesting to talk through is some of the approaches I'm taking now. To, like, I think I'm glad that we've both have sort of agreed on the right, the way forward from a technical perspective. And then now it's the sort of like, how do you, there's still some risk, there's still some amount of, you know, sort of danger involved in what I'm doing and sort of the strategies that I'm coming up with to minimize those and sort of the things that I'm doing in the run up to this release and the way I'll test it and the way I'll beta test it and, and so on, because I think that's, you know, obviously, the scale of the issue that I'm running into is pretty big. I mean, there is there is one one other angle to consider here, though. Like, you know, a lot of times we as developers we we see some flaw in the way things are, and we think we I, I have to fix that. I have like I I have to you know clean that up, modernize it, rewrite it, refactor it, whatever it is. Like, I I have to fix this this you know inadequate or or hacky thing that's that's already there and working. But do we, do we sure. really have to fix it? Like, I feel like so often we don't ask that question of ourselves enough. But a lot of these things, like, if the current thing is working, we probably shouldn't go messing with it. Or it's not worth the risk, or it's not worth the effort, or it's not worth having to, you know, rewrite something and then refix all the bugs that we fixed the first time and all the shortcomings because we wanted to do it in the new language or the new framework or whatever. Like, so often we... we pour tons of effort into something and take lots of risks in order to clean something up or modernize something that the reality is like just leaving it alone would probably have been more pragmatic and at the end of the day you're spending a lot of effort modernizing something that your customers might not even notice or care about and so i I feel like it's very important to ask ourselves that kind of question much more than we do now (laughs) like to to ask ourselves like when we're looking at a migration like because you know i'm facing all sorts of possible migrations and rewrites and everything that are, that are on my like wish list slash to-do list 
because every to-do list is actually more of a wish list. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I, I look at that and, and I think I, I could spend six months doing this or I could – you know, push this change out to to the way I do things in the servers and possibly cause a giant bad server day for myself. Um, or I could just leave it alone. And would that really be that bad to just leave it alone? Yeah, and I, I will say I had the same thought with this feature. And certainly in some of the, 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 the more challenging parts of this process and the realization part where I was realizing the scope of the, 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 the challenge that I was undertaking... And I think it's a very good point and a good reminder. So that's like I think it is definitely an area to be very thoughtful. That make sure that you're, if you're undertaking a dangerous migration or something that has kind of like a high risk coding situation, um, that you're doing it for a reason that isn't, um, in some ways, it isn't like isn't selfish. Like isn't something that yeah. is something that is going to be make the app better for the end user, not better for you. Um, that if it was something that I just need to deal with and manage going forward but would me dealing with it and me taking that risk um is in some ways irresponsible if it only benefits me and isn't actually benefiting my customer because that's like ultimately what i'm doing is i'm making software to make people's lives better to make them happy and like if i am you know it's something oh you know it's just like there's this one little thing in it that annoys me um, and in the end I like ruin someone's day because they had their widgets all set up the way they loved them. And then I do something that messes with that. Like those are, those are disproportional. Those are not, um, good things. So I think it's definitely a good point. And I, I will say I went through that with this. Like once I really got down to, is this worth doing? And ultimately what I ended up on is I did it and then I've been using it myself on my own phone for a while and it makes photo widgets better. And it makes them better in ways that I, now that I've, now that I sort of was one of those features that now that I've done it, I don't think I could go back to the old version because I love that when I like add a picture of my kids to my widget, I can, you know, zoom in nicely on them just very easily and obviously. Um, and so it, it makes it that little bit more personal and a little bit more um, friendly. And, and like, ultimately that's most of what I use the photo widgets for is it's like, I have pictures of my family and friends and like, you know, us on vacation or the places we've been and being able to frame those pictures exactly the way that uh, I would want is like, has made the app better. And so I think, I don't think I could go back, but I think what you're saying is definitely a good, important thing. And something that I think was, I'm glad to have gone through that thought process of like, who is this for and why am I doing it? And is it worth it? And making sure that it's not just for a reason for me, that it's ultimately a reason that I think will make people's, my users' lives better as well. So, yeah. And then I think in terms of the things that I'm doing now that I've like here is A, is, there's the, the first thing is I'm go, doing a huge amount of just just general testing in a way that is something that I feel like is so easy to sometimes skip over when you're in a process like this, but is I'm loading it onto lots of different devices and I'm, you know, is downloading the app from the app store, the existing, you know, the previous version, setting up a bunch of widgets, trying them and then doing, you know, installing the new version and testing it and trying it and doing it on small on small phones, on big phones. Thankfully with this, I don't have to deal too much with old like OSs because everything requires iOS 14. So there's a little bit of that, but not too much that I need to worry about. Um, but it's like doing a lot of that. And in some ways also, I'm just sort of doing lots of data testing there, which I think is an important thing to do. And I think something that ultimately I'm going to do from this is in, I believe in, I think you can, in most versions of, of Xcode, you've been able to do this for a while, but you can capture a, a simulator snapshot 
um, of a particular configuration. And I'm going to be planning to do a bunch of different snapshots um, of, of where the users are. And then I think you, know, you can restore that to a simulator um, for, for later testing. Um, but it's sort of gathering that user data um, and having those snapshots to be able to do testing with, I think is something that's always useful. So um, you have kind of these baselines to install the new version on and then run your new thing and make sure it doesn't break. That's great. I had no idea. Yeah, I will have a link in the show notes to instructions on how to do it. But it's something I've done before where there's a way to kind of, you can gather up a, a snapshot of a simulator, I'm pretty sure. Unless I, this, that was just a feature I dreamed of and it doesn't actually exist, but hopefully it does. Um, and I think this is also a place to, I think about doing automated testing. And this is where I'm sure all the unit testing people will be like, yay, Dave's finally discovering unit testing. And no, that's not actually what I did. Um, <laughs> sorry, uh, Casey. <laughs> sorry. Uh, what I did is I wrote, I, you know, that, that testing app that I didn't initially, um, I set it up so that it would run uh, a lot of my kind of my, my vision stuff and the new pan and zoom and all that. It runs it. Um, against every, essentially every photo in my photo library, which is, I don't know, tens of thousands of pictures. And I can just sit there and quickly go through lots and lots of pictures. And this is something that I found several issues with, which has been really helpful. It's like the nature of any kind of, A, the vision stuff. You know, you can have these weird cases where the vision framework gives you back some weird value that you may not have been expecting. So it's important to test it on lots of different things because like it's, trying to find a face, right? That's what it's, it's ultimately trying to do. But sometimes it's, it can think that, oh, this weird pattern in the corner is a face. And so you get back a really weird shaped um, face or something that's, you know, when you try and zoom into, you, if you don't handle it correctly, or if, you, if it's a face that's right on the edge of the frame, you may actually accidentally try and, you know, over offset and set, you know, set the center to somewhere that doesn't exist. And these are the issues that I found by just having essentially a testing harness, a testing tool. That lets me do that and lets me do it um, in a in a manual way that is sort of high velocity. And the reason I'm not using something like unit testing there is it's like the nature of what I'm doing, it isn't like there's a precondition and a postcondition that I can easily just put in code and you know put down in, in, in what I want it to do. It's like there's a it's a perceptual thing. It's like when I hit the face, you know, zoom to faces option, does it zoom to a pleasing, you know, crop of this person? Um, and I could, I suppose like I could unit test that it goes from this picture to this rectangle. That's not actually that what I'm worried about. What I'm worried about is it, you know, not cutting off people's faces and making people look weird. Like that's the act, which is very aesthetic and not something that, you know, I need to write another machine learning model, I suppose, to validate my first machine learning model or something like that. It it, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and then I think the next thing I'm going to do is, um, I do, I think this is called chaos monkey testing, which is, I, I just love the name of, but it's essentially, I just do always do this kind of round of testing before a feature like this, especially a UI feature is just trying to break it by being kind of silly with it. So like zoom, zoom, pinch, pinch, swipe, swipe, like just keep this in, like, they just open your phone to the feature and then just go crazy and just be trying as best you can to do weird and unexpected things or try and trigger race conditions or threading issues by, you know, changing it. It's like change the photo and then immediately switch to the other view or back, back, back around the app and do this kind of like just introduce randomness into the use of the app. Um, and especially this is great to have someone who doesn't know the app or like your kids or someone be like, here, try and break the screen and see if they can do it. Um, Cause that's a, one, a good way to find these weird edge cases that you may not find otherwise. Um, 
And then lastly, I'm going to do a lot of beta testing. And um, I expect there will be a link to a test flight um, in the show notes for this episode. And I would appreciate any under the radar listeners to download it and try it and, and you know, in, if install it, add photos, make sure their old photo widgets don't get broken in the process. Um, and this is one of those things where I'm very patient with this. And part of why I'm doing it now is it's kind of the summer period where I'm working on iOS 15 features long term. But in the short term, it's something that I can take my time with over the summer test and try have people beta test for a long time you know if not just like oh put the build out get a couple hundred get a hundred people to install it and if it doesn't like break or have big crashes you know have, you know release it this was much more of something i want people to live with and try and make sure there's not weird issues over time and then my last little mitigation strategy is i'm certainly going to use the uh, app store connect like roll this release out slowly thing um, where you can roll it out to you know I think does half a percent the first day and then 1% and then 2% and it's like slow rolls out it so that um, you can, I, you know, I can expose this to a relatively small percentage of people initially and then be, you know, watch like a hawk, the customer support and all the places that people might talk about it and make sure that the thing's coming up. And I think you can even roll it out and then immediately pause the rollout, um, which is something I've also done in the past where it can kind of, I can send it out to half a percent of people and then, leave it as half a percent of people for, um, you know, a week and make sure that nothing comes up subsequently. So anyway, that's all the things that I'm trying to do, um, to mitigate my terror and mitigate the fact that this is, I think, yeah, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say like the highest, uh, sort of risk bit of coding I've ever done. Wow. Well, good luck with this. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sure we will talk about this, this again. <laughs> Because this is going to be a, hopefully a slow roll. <laughs> yes. Hopefully sometime late, late in the summer, there will be another episode where I talk about how well it went, how all the preparation meant that it went off smoothly and effortlessly, and no one even knew that it happened. It was just perfect. Well, best of luck. Thanks. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you in two weeks. Bye.